0: Welcome to the Players First Podcast, where we look to showcase the stories, journeys, and development of former and current professional basketball players and their continual growth in knowing who they really are. Today's guest is Tyson Wheeler. Tyson is a former University of Rhode Island standout and a former NBA and professional basketball player. He currently serves as an assistant coach at UMass. We talked to him today about finding the right fit, how to win, how to form the right habits and how to be thankful and stay humble. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and you look to get better every day. Welcome to the podcast, Tyson.
1: Thank you for having me uh, again. It's a pleasure and honor to be on your podcast. Uh, I listen to a lot of your coaching podcasts and learn a lot. And you know, a lot of great minds out there, and you give that platform for everybody to learn.
0: And I appreciate you having me on. Now I feel part of the uh, you know. The the family, the family. The brotherhood, yeah, man. And, and exactly. Yeah, no, man. I appreciate you yeah. saying that. I mean, I, uh, I really try to just get a lot of different stories, journeys, all that stuff out there because this is just the time right now, especially right now, where people feel alone in their experiences in life for whatever reason, you know, whether it's COVID, whether it's social injustice and unrest, uh, whether mm-hmm. it's trying to find a job after they lost their, I mean, everybody's Searching for Scramble something, yeah, and, and I feel exactly. like this can bring peace of mind and stories of uh, redemption and uh, stories of perseverance and, you know, anything that is part of the human condition of overcoming. So, yeah, man, I, 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 so I, so I appreciate you being on now. I'm going to start it off like I started everyone, man, in that how are you introduced to the game of basketball?
1: Well, really, I, you know, my father, he was a three-sport athlete, um, played baseball, football and basketball, and he was pretty good in our, in our city of New London, Connecticut. Nice. Um, so, you know, he, he coached me at an early age to make sure I, you know, learned the game the right way, and he wanted to have, be hands-on to make sure I learned the game the right way. Yeah. Um, and, and also, the city I grew up in was very competitive, very, you know, a sports-related city and everybody knew what new running was about and you know and
0: i wanted to be a part of that that's great man like you know when your pops is kind of the guy in your life man that that is uh it's a special thing man that's what it is from for me my pops it was like man everything he did was like wow wow no. Like, yeah, I'm yeah. just glad. He, I'm just, you know, no offense to ballet dancers. I'm just glad he wasn't a ballet dancer. Cause a I know, of, right? <laughs> probably wouldn't do that. So, like, I, can't, oh, I can't rock that tight stuff. That's really, it's really good. <laughs> Me neither, man. Me neither. So, yeah, man. That's awesome, man. Now, growing up, your dad obviously is an influence, but what were, who are were some of the other influences in your life as far as the game and you coming to uh, to love the game?
1: Well, it was, you know, uh, this this short Italian kid named Michael Bustetto mm-hmm. who grew up in my town. Um, and he was a flashy little point guard, uh, you know, who was about I 10 years older than I was. Yeah. And I would always see him at the park working on his game for hours and hours and hours. And I was like, you know, I love the game. You know, I'll be out there for 30, 40 minutes and I would go home. But then, I, you know, after watching him and seeing how much work he put in, he just influenced me to put in that work, yeah. you know, to be great. You know, he ended up going to Quinnipiac, which was a D2 school. And, yeah. you know, now they're a D1 school in the MAC. Um, and he was one of the, you know, top assist leaders at that school. Um, but I always watched him. I always watched the Lakers. And Matty Johnson was my favorite player. Yeah. Um, you know. Being from Connecticut and the East Coast and New England, a lot of people like the Boston Celtics. Yeah. But, you know, my my father wasn't having any of that. You know, I was a Yankees fan, a Lakers fan, and an Oakland Raiders fan. So, oh, yeah. you know. <laughs> oh, so, you know, um, I love Magic Johnson. I love his, you know, how he played the game. And I try to, you know, emulate everything he did. Yeah. And hopefully, I, you know, at a young age, I thought I would be 6'5", six 6'9", like he was, but. Yeah. Unfortunately,
0: I wasn't. So, yeah, no both of the people that influenced me. Yeah, the both of us, man. I'm still waiting to grow a little bit. Still trying to <laughs> exactly. hit that six nine, get that, get that, view above the the first row line of defense. Like exactly. that's what magic was. Like I grew up. My first basketball was a Magic Johnson basketball. It was purple and yellow. And yep. uh, back then, I mean, here in San Antonio, we didn't have a we didn't have beef with the Lakers because we weren't even competing with them yet. At that time, hey, love, you know, I'm love. talking about 80s, late 80s. And uh, so I get that Magic Johnson basketball, and I'm throwing no-look passes. I'm, Of course, yeah. nobody's catching them, but, uh, hey, you, you know, I, I'm trying to do all that, man. And so, yeah, he was an early influence on me, too. That's that's why I think we all kind of, those of us who saw Magic, we all gravitated to that, that point guard spot because it was like, Man, I can run a show. You know, I can get this thing going. Like, I don't need a yep, score. Yep. I don't need a shoot. I just need to get everybody set up to do that. And so, yeah, exactly. man, good stuff, man. Now, uh, what was your experience at the high school level as a player? Like, where you know, do you were you the man? Were did were you kind of underrated? How did that all pan out for you?
1: Well, um, going into my freshman year, um, you know, at my high school, it was a very competitive. School. You know, we won state championships. Wow. Um, so, coming in as a freshman, you weren't going to play varsity as a freshman. But, you know, my goal when I was in seventh and eighth grade was to, you know, start varsity as a freshman. So, the work I put in in the summertime, I knew who I was going against in practice, and I knew that if I put in the work, I could beat them out for a spot on the varsity team. So, I was fortunate to start um, varsity as a freshman after my third game wow. and never looked back from there. So, you know, wow. I had played with a couple of guys that were older, so those guys would score a lot. But, you know, I was happy to be on the court. Um, the work that I put in in the summertime, six or seven hours of working, uh, paid off. And, you know, by my junior year, I was averaging 25 points a game. So
0: nice. nice. Yeah. I had a really good experience in high school. That's great. Now, how was your recruitment? How did that all kind of uh, shape for you and, and kind of transfer? You know, now that you're a college coach, uh, how would you say mm-hmm. it went for you? Um, it was very,
1: very slow. Um, you know, back in high school where I grew up, you know, in Connecticut, there wasn't a lot of recruitment in Connecticut yeah. for kids at the Division One level. Um, so I would have to go to camps and hopefully get seen by some D3 and D2 schools. Um, and when I would go to the camps, I would get recruited by those schools, D2 D3. But then I finally got an opportunity to go play in AAU on a little local you know, New London Hoopsters AAU program, and we played against some top flight AAU programs like Riverside Church, um, the Gauchos, wow. uh, BABC. Yeah. So my exposure got a little bit better yeah. playing against those guys and doing some work. You know, I had a shout out uh, James Johnson, rest in peace, who was the guy that you know got our team together. We've got, a, a, you know, some local kids, and we went out there and played in the big cities. Wow. So my, my recruitment started to blow up a little bit. I went to five-star camp, which was really big yeah. in, in this area. Um, I played against Stephon Marbury, Shanghai Well, Scott Sham God, uh, you know, Renan Hamilton, Felipe Lopez. So that exposure, playing with those guys and doing well, helped me be a recruit at the Division One level. Yeah. But by no means, people didn't think I was a Division One player until, you
0: know, I played against those guys. Yeah. No, man, those guys will yeah. test you for sure. Like, those are yeah. name, those are names right there that I think kids nowadays, they, I mean, there's no YouTube, you know, footage for the no. most part of what those guys did. Uh, right, right, However, we all knew about them. There was no internet back then, but we knew about them. Uh, exactly. Slam, Slam Magazine had them on there. Uh, they, yeah. had, they had that juice. Like, they had Absolutely. it. And if you could compete with them, it'd be on the same stage as them. Uh, you definitely had something going for yourself. Now, I remember those AU days back then because we're kind of close to the same age. And that was back in AU when you had to fill out a card. You had to fill out a card, (laughs) you know, what sport you wanted to be in. And then it was just just one team in the area. It wasn't even in your city. It was like one team in the area to represent that region or whatever. So, yeah. Exactly. I remember that. I remember (laughs) that real well, man. Now, given that you were kind of like, you know, your recruiting was kind of slow, like you said. With you know, your your circle of friends, your circle of you know confidants, those that you kept close to you. How was it? How important was it to keep that circle small so that you know you weren't influenced in a way to to kind of go the wrong route or not be able to have an opportunity to play at the next level?
1: Well, I think again, it was my mom and dad who you know that influence of those two, making sure that they steered on the right path. Yeah. Um, as well as my friends, you know, I still have the same best friends that I had since I was growing up. Nice in fifth and sixth grade. But my dad used to always tell me stories about kids in our town that were really good that should have gone on to play at Division One level or pro. Yeah, but they never they never accomplished that because they didn't take care of their schoolwork. Mm-hmm. They were hanging out in the streets. Um, you know, they're smoking and drinking. So you know, my dad and mom made sure I was on the right path to success.
0: That's great. Yeah man there's yep. al- there was always that story of that one guy who had 40 and 20 and 10 and yep. yeah he was there just on the block and everybody was like what happened and the first thing exactly. you the first thing you hear is wow coach didn't like me uh always. you know it's always that or it's always like nah they didn't they won't let me shoot the rock or whatever and mm-hmm. and, I, and i think that's a cautionary tale that your parents told you and let you know like you you think you're good that guy standing right there just chilling and hanging out he right. should he should be somewhere and probably trying to get in the league or something but he can't there's no dis, no discipline like and that's exactly. not, it's really unfortunate especially the day the day and time we live in now uh there's a lot of kids who have potential but don't have discipline and i think that's uh that's where we can do our part as, as as men and his mentors and his coaches, absolutely, so I think, absolutely, yeah. I did. So I'm glad your parents did that, man. Because my oh, par- yeah. my parents did the same. Sometimes I didn't appreciate it, but oh, uh, absolutely. No. But they, you thought they were too rough on us. Yeah. <laughs> they they
1: set they was too hard and thought they, you know, were being mean
0: and didn't want us to have fun. Yeah, but they were looking out for our best interest. Yeah, but we do the same thing for our kids. Yeah, no, nah, man, I'm having more fun than I ever had in my whole life now, like we talked about earlier. I have fun yep, painting yep. rooms, <laughs> pink and purple and sky exactly. blue, <laughs> all of that. I have a lot of fun with that. Now, how was your experience at Rhode Island? Oh, well,
1: the great thing was, you know, Al Skinner gave me an opportunity Yeah. To to, one, be myself, um and put me on a platform where I could compete at a high level yeah. and not be at a, in a, you know In a league that was too big for me to succeed. You understand what I mean? So, you know, I had to learn through my mistakes and I got that opportunity from playing right away as a freshman Yeah, uh, I learned I learned how to be a leader it, it taught me how to be humble. Um, you know, to learn how to help me to fight through adversity and, and losses and stuff like that. We were seven and 20 my freshman year um and we had seven freshmen on the team. So we all grew together and learned. So that experience of, you know, going through the fight and ups and downs only made us better. And, you know, Al Skinner gave me that chance. You know, I had an opportunity late in my senior year to get a look from Yukon and Providence, but I chose Rhode Island because it was a small school. It was close to home. And I knew I could play right away. Yeah, And that's something that I was looking
0: for. Yeah, and some kids some kids don't understand that, you know, you know choosing the right fit for you, for you is important. Yeah, because of who listens, I, I kind of want to go down that road, which you said right now about fit. Because sometimes mm-hmm. we'll hear, uh, like if we're applying for a coaching job, it just wasn't the right fit, and it's a way to kind of blow us off. But when, when it comes right. to recruiting kids and having them come into your program, you know, for the most part they have the leverage and because uh, if, if you're pursuing them, that means they're good enough. And so, yeah. like when you have to tell a kid, you know, s- look for the right fit. What did that? What did that mean for you when you when you looked at fit at Rhode Island? What did that mean for you? What all was that entailing? Um, um obviously the opportunity to play,
1: not start, just to play. I'm coming from a small town in New London, um, and going to the Atlantic Ten where at that time, UMass was the number one team in the country. Um, so I had an opportunity to play against the number one team in the country, uh, yeah. something I dreamed about. You know, those long days at the park working on my games, something I dreamt about playing against top competition. Yeah. And so that was one of the biggest things for me. Um, also, the coaching staff, I knew they, they cared about me and my success. Um, they wanted to see me do well. They were going to give me chances to make mistakes and and grow. And I think a lot of kids don't understand that. And I think that's why a lot of kids transfer. Yeah. You know, they go to schools nowadays because of the name of the school, yeah. um, how big the school is. And then I think I read something the other day, there's still about over 1,000 kids unsigned that are transferred. Yeah. They're still on the transfer wire. So, wow. you know, choosing the right fit was very important for me. And I wanted my family to be able to experience you know, my career, my success, yeah, and be able to come to all my games. So I would have, like, 30 or 40 people at each game. So that was another important thing for me to have my family around because, you know, very big um, on family and and, and being together. So that's another reason why I chose Rhode Island.
0: That's great, man. Like, to have that, that's a – I don't want to say a luxury, but it is. At that age, Mm -hmm. it's it's a luxury to still have – Basically, home games, if you will. When you have that many people with you, uh, exactly, it's it's like a home game. No matter what for you it is, at least, and uh, exactly that's that's a great uh, situation I've been in. Now, you were in college. Sure, everything didn't go you know right as rain, and the roads were always straight. But uh, what were some of the struggles that you experienced, and then how did you overcome them?
1: Well, like I talked about before, having my family around was very important so when I did go through struggles they were there to help me and talk to me Yeah. Um, being a small guard playing in the Atlantic 10 was tough yeah. you know I was going against guys that were point guards that were 6'3 6'4 6'5 so that was one of the biggest struggles um, yeah. and then also learning how to lead a team in a program at the point guard position Yeah. Uh, you know when you're a point guard Everybody blames you for everything, you know. <laughs> yeah. and, and and you you, you got to understand that from a point guard's perspective. Like, you know, even when you're doing well, doing bad is always a point guard's fault. Yeah. Um, when you're doing bad, but when you're doing well, it's team. And, and you just you just have to accept that. So that was, what was kind of a struggle that I went through. Also, how to win. Like I said before, we went wow. seven and twenty, and by my senior year, we were in the uh, elite eight, about one minute away from going to the final four. So. Wow. Nobody, nobody thought we would be good at Rhode Island. Um, we kind of put Rhode Island on the map. Uh, and I got that opportunity to lead the team. Having a voice um, getting my teammates to follow me was another struggle that I had to learn how to do as a freshman. Um, you know, I was scared to try to tell somebody to do something. Yeah. You know, I was just a lonely freshman. But I had a coach named Garland Mance who told me, that, you know, after my freshman year, he was like, Tyson, you have to lead more. You have to talk more. Um, and I was like, but I don't want anybody to be mad at me. He's like, don't worry, they're going to follow you. And when they see you putting in the work, and they know you're passionate about the game, you know, players will tend to follow you. So that's
0: something I had to learn, and it was a struggle for me at first. Wow. Yeah, man, that's... uh, You're right when you talk about that point guard spot, you know, how how important it is. Nowadays, I don't know if it's it's like that. Like, I, I think it's I think there is in certain systems, but there's somebody that's going through that on that team. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, like, absolutely. however you're structuring your, your team, if you've got six, seven bringing up the ball just to bring up the ball, and set up the offense, and he, you call him your point guard, whatever, right? But right. somebody, somebody is leading your team, and whoever that person is, like that, that pressure, and how to kind of learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable learning how to foster relationships within the team, interpersonal stuff and how it extends onto the court. Like, man, that's just, that's a lot. That's a lot for, for 19, 20, 21. I mean, no matter what age you are at, like it's exactly tough to bring guys together at times, especially if you start off in a, in a losing situation. Uh, Oh, definitely. So so we all, we were all young. So we all didn't know how to, to win. You know, I was, I was those games my
1: freshman year. I would have ten turnovers a game. Wow! And 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 my head coach Al Skinner would just keep me out there. Well, you're gonna learn, Tyson. You're gonna learn how to take (laughs) care of the ball. uh, You know, but best believe that next practice I was running for those uh, turnovers. So you know, I was in great shape. But I I learn from my mistakes. You know, I think that's you know every everything you do, you learn from your mistakes, and that's how you become better. Yeah.
0: No man, that that's that's definitely Al Skinner, old school mentality like yeah you're not going to make that mistake again and if you do there's retribution in a sense like and you're going to get exactly. in good shape like you said you're going to benefit <laughs> you're even going to benefit from it too Exactly. i think Things that's how negative. kids would look kids would look at it nowadays is like all right give me 50 laps they're like sweet man i get i'm going to get in good shape man like thank you coach and so yep. i don't know man like so yeah that's tough now your education, how important was that through that whole process?
1: Well, it was very important. Um, you know, my parents were both college graduates. Um, so they, they, you know, instilled in me at an early age that I was going to do my work or you weren't going to play any sports. Wow. You know, there's a there's a lot of kids out there that don't have that, where their parents are you know, on them to make sure they take care of their schoolwork. Um, and, and my parents didn't mess around. So yeah. there was no sports without taking care of your schoolwork first. Um, I remember a story. I think I was a sophomore in high school, and I was cheating on a history test. You know, I had had my uh, cheat sheet between my legs, and the the teacher walked up and was like, Tyson, what's between your legs? And I was like, what are you (laughs) talking about? And he caught me. And he called my father, and I was on restriction for a week, and I had to study, study, study. My friends came over. I told my friends, make sure you guys come to my house so we can go hang out. Just come there. My dad will let me off. He was not having it. Uh-huh. So, you know, that was a lesson I had to learn, you yeah. know, take care of your schoolwork. And then the next test, I got like 110 on the test because I did the extra credit. I knew all the answers. Nice. But but he was like, Tyson, you got to study. You can't just pass it by and think you're going to get
0: through it by cheating. It's not gonna, That's not the way the world works. Yeah. so Nah, man, if you apply yourself, man, like that's – there's something to be said about just giving the effort. And I think as, yeah. as coaches, we know that completely. But players, too, players need to know, like, yeah, you may feel like you can't do something, but if you just try and give an effort, you'll surprise yourself. And, uh, exactly. Just exactly. not being lazy either. That's, of- That's what it is. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. you're just, you're just being lazy. Yeah, because some kids are geniuses, but they never tap right. into that genius because they just don't feel like it. And I think right. we, we were all at that point. So I, I have a lot of uh, empathy for young people. When I hear, I right. like ah, I just didn't feel like it. Like, yeah, I know how that feels, but man, you gotta <laughs> do it. <laughs> forget yeah, your, right. yeah, forget your feelings, man. Like, leave those at home. Like, exactly. There's just no need for that. But so, like, yeah. you, you, like, again, we're talking about your family. We're talking about you know being put on restriction and all that, and the consequences for your actions if they're negative, right? So what did you sacrifice? Because, I mean, maybe your friends were all going out, having a good time. What did you sacrifice to be where you were at there at Rhode Island?
1: Well, I I don't think I sacrificed anything because basketball is what I wanted to do. Yeah. You know, so I knew, you know, right from wrong. Obviously, my parents teach me that. But I I felt like being a 5'10 point guard and I wanted to be an NBA player, I had to sacrifice hanging out, drinking, smoking, not doing any of those things, yeah. Because I had to get everything I had being a small guard. So, I mean, I wouldn't call it sacrifice because that's what I, you know, I love basketball. Yeah. So, so you know, I knew those were the wrong things. I knew what I had to do to yeah. get where I wanted to be. I, you know, I had goals set, and I had to form habits of working hard six, seven hours a day, and it would literally be six, seven hours a day, uh, rain, sleet, or snow. You know, didn't matter. Hundred degree weather, I was out there. Um, people thought I was crazy. My friends would come by and like, yo, we're going to hang out. You want to come? No. I'm working on my game. So, you know, and, and I also felt like the more work I put in, the better I would be against those other, my friends. Yeah. You know, everything was a step. I wanted to be better than my friends, better players in my city, then in the state, then in obviously the East Coast, and then in the country. And, you know, when they're not working and I'm working, I feel like I'm getting better
0: than somebody. So, yeah. It really wasn't a sacrifice to I me. Mean, I, loved, I loved the game of basketball. That's where sacrifice turns into investment, you know. Right. You're investing right. in your yeah. future. And I think here again, the listeners, the young person that's listening says, I want to play in college, I want to go to the league, there's just a lot of sacrifice that looks, well, it looks like sacrifice, but in reality mm-hmm. it's a, it's an investment to your future, not doing exactly. the things you shouldn't do. No, I mean, the culture is the culture, man. Like, so, like, there's certain things that kids think are the culture and, like, hit and everything's so great. But in reality, that's just, it's a temporary culture. Like, it'll go away. But if you get your life caught up in it, man, you'll go away with it. And that's. Oh, quickly. Yeah. And it's a bad, sad thing. Like, you remember growing up, man, when Boys in the Hood or Menace to Society came out, everybody wanted to be a gangster. so yeah. So, dudes were, like, running to gangs and getting guns and doing drugs and it was like, that's not a trend. That's a life altering experience. What are you doing? Like until they get until they get shot. And yeah. then they were like, holy crap, yeah. like, and then am it was doing? like, I thought I was just like Doughboy. I thought you know what I mean? I thought this was a movie. I was gonna press pause and then go away. Like so I think that's that's really important. I don't think enough people talk about that how influential that time was and the times that we live in now that if you follow the culture, you're gonna get caught up in something that You may not want to, and I think it's it behooves us as coaches and leaders to set the culture up and to to really that culture of hard work and sacrifice and investing in our future. That's that's really important. That's our job. That's our job as coaches. I think you know, lead lead
1: these young men the right way.
0: Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. you know, coming out of college and then going into the draft, like, what was that? What was that feeling leading up to that time? Like. Like what? I don't mean. I, I I never been through that. So, like, right. what was that experience like altogether?
1: Well, you know, knowing that you know, I was a top five point guard, um, you know, one of the top five point guards in the country in ninety eight, um, I knew I had a chance to get drafted. But again, I was five ten. Not too many five ten guys get drafted. Yeah. So you know, I was a bit nervous. I felt that I probably wouldn't get drafted. Um, I went to the pre-draft camps in, in Phoenix and Chicago, and I played really well. Um, but I only got one invite for a workout with the Minnesota Timberwolves. And, and, um, so, you know, Kevin McHale invited me for a workout. So I only had one workout after playing really well, and so I thought, you know, I'm not going to get drafted. There's no way. I only had one workout, Um, again, a 5'10". You know, it wasn't a deep draft, but I still felt... You know, I wasn't good enough. So, you know, I was bit nervous. Uh, I didn't watch a draft. I was actually playing in the summer league in, in Hartford, Connecticut. And, and Marcus Canby, a good friend of mine, who was on the Toronto Raptors at the time, was at the game and he was like, Tyson, you're going to get drafted to the Raptors tonight. And he, I thought he was just playing around. And so I drove home, you know, I turned the draft on. It was the second round. I didn't even watch the first round. And and in the second round, my name was called. Nice. And I was like, wow, you
0: know, all that hard work paid off. Yeah. It it was a a great feeling. Yeah. No, man. I can't even imagine what kind of pride just comes up, you know, within you. And uh, knowing here again, the hard work paid off, man. And I think that's here again, everybody listening, like, Yeah, I mean, it's an old adage, and people get tired of hearing that hard work pays off, but there's nothing more true, I mean, other than than death, taxes, and whatever, right? Exactly. So hard work does pay off, and so, like, when did you, how how was it, like, when you first realized, man, I'm a professional, like, I'm, I'm really doing this, whether it was the league or whether it was overseas, like, what was that like to really, to come to that realization about being a professional basketball player?
1: Well, I think um, you know I had an opportunity as a freshman to play against Damon Stoudemire, mm. um, and, he, and he was a senior,
0: yeah. and
1: I pl- played uh, really well. And I was like, okay, he's five ten, he's a lefty, and I'm and I'm going at him, and I'm and I'm hanging with him. Yeah. And he was regarded as a top top player in the, in the country, and he was going to probably get drafted in the first round. Yeah. So after you know having that feeling and having that confidence, I just started playing at a whole different level. Um, you know, coming in from New London, Connecticut and playing in 10 and, you know, my first big game was against Providence College, which was at the Big East when the Big East was the Big East. Yeah. And I had 16 points. And I was like, wait a minute. How am I doing this? <laughs> so, you know, it, from from that point on, I just had that confidence that I could I can compete yeah. at the highest level with some of the, the best players in the country. And then, you know, I got invited, I think my sophomore junior year to the USA Trials. And then all the top point guards were there. You know, Chauncey Phillips, uh, Brevin Knight, um, Andre Miller. Yeah. Um, and, I'm you know, Earl Boykins was there. So it, it was a great experience, and I got to play against some of the best cars in the country. And, you know, I was competing and going at these dudes. So that after doing that, I felt I had a chance
0: to play professionally. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, so, once you stepped in that, that professional realm, what was it like here again – like almost like a re a re uh, birth or, kind of like revisiting that feeling of, wow I'm I'm here I'm here I made it, mm-hmm. like what was it Was there a moment where you just you were on the court you were in the locker room you were at home, that you just said mm-hmm. wow I'm a professional basketball player and this is real. Well, I think uh, funny story. I was with the Denver Nuggets, like I traded from Toronto to Denver,
1: and I got my first check. Um, and we're all in the locker room. It was Nick Van Expo, Chauncey Billis, Corey Alexander, Antonio McDice. Uh, so we had some really, really good players in there, and they all had big checks. Yeah. And I got my first check, and it was for like $27,000 for like two weeks of work. Yeah. And I'm rolling around, yelling and screaming. I'm like, oh, I'm going to keep this forever. And they're like, <laughs> you're going to spend that in a week. I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I've never had this much money. Oh, man. So so right then I, I was like, this
0: is, this is great. I want this to continue this. So it was yeah. a great, great uh, time for me. It's one of those feelings you want to chase, right? You're like, man, I got to ch- i going to chase this feeling every week.
1: <laughs> every week, please. I didn't, And then a couple weeks later, I got cut. So I had to like <laughs> reevaluate my situation. Uh, yeah,
0: It's not like the pub- publishers clearing out sweepstakes where they're like, $20,000 for the rest of your life every week. You know, whatever.
1: <laughs> right, right. Oh,
0: man. You got to keep working. get back to work. Yeah, yeah. Leo. You got to keep working, man. So, like... Uh, you know, overseas, going over there, that experience, what were some of the challenges and maybe even the joys of playing overseas?
1: Well, you know, the first time I went overseas, I went to Turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody spoke English. Yeah. Everywhere everywhere we went into town, people would stare at us, <laughs> like, you know, the American players. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the food was different. Nobody spoke English. Um, you know, the TV, no American channels. I couldn't really talk to my family, um, you know, cause the first week I brought my friend with me, he ran up the phone bill for $800 in one week. Cool. So I had the phone cut off. So it, it was a, a very different experience, um, with the lifestyle the food and, and after going to Turkey, I didn't want to go back overseas anymore cause I thought everywhere in overseas was like that. Yeah. So I went to the CBA and tried to get back into the NBA. Um, and then I finally went back to Italy and it was a totally different experience. Um, yeah. You know, my son was born in Italy. I had two and a half great years in Italy where I played. Uh, You know, I learned a little bit of the language, order food. Um, Again, like I said, my son was born there, so he had an Italian passport. Wow. The people were great. The culture was great. The food was great. And the basketball was really good. And and I learned how to play a different style of basketball. Yeah. um, Playing overseas. You know, I played in France, Italy, Turkey, Israel, um, uh, Romania portugal uh, uh cypress dominican republic so i learned all different styles of basketball and i think that's helped, helped me as a coach yeah you know i can yeah. adapt to different styles it was all different types of coaches the speed of the game was different you know so it was more cerebral game uh than it was in, in america you know in america we're up and down playing fast um but now a lot of american coaches are adapting to european styles of play yeah um so it's only benefited me and helped me as a coach
0: to be able to teach the game differently because I experience different types of styles. Yeah. No, you're you're right about coaches kind of gravitating to the European game because it's more, I don't know, team-friendly. And when uh, the ball moves, it doesn't get stuck. You're not exactly. trying to showcase, you know, one person or two people. It's the it's team thing, and, and that's... uh really good stuff man like i hear your experience and i'm thinking man you saw everything probably there was to see to an extent i mean not obviously not everything but you said the different styles in different regions of the world and uh, you're figuring out like this is how they do this here this there's my dad always taught me there's more than one way to skin a cat not that i would not that i would ever want to do that it's, I'd have <laughs> peed all over me, so, so I'm sorry oh, for saying man. that. I guess, right. <laughs> oh, uh, but yeah, man, it's like you 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 learn the game and your perspective and your mind is blown. Like it's growing. Like whoa, I thought I knew everything. You know, I think every what is it? Every you know, every young person coming out of college, especially, thinks they know everything. And, oh, and, and, and you know. Uh, Sorry, no, go ahead, man. and we and we did it well. Yeah, you know, yeah. So we, we knew everything. Yeah, and rightfully so. Yeah, rightfully right. so. Because that's just that's the that's kind of that pinnacle of of information and knowledge to that point of your life. Uh, all that you're missing is like real life experience at that point. Like you're educated, okay, cool, great, but you need life and experience as well. And so, oh, uh, so yeah, I think that's really what you learn, and and I and I feel like that's what you got from it now. Uh, what advice would you give current high school or current college players when it comes to playing at the pro level? Because we sometimes hear people say about young people, whether it's great high school, elite high school guys, burger boys, and saying, "Ah, oh, he's a future pro. Or a, yeah. a college player, oh, he's a future pro. What advice would you give uh, those young people?
1: Um, I would say listen and learn. Um, you know, never stop working. Fall in love with you know, getting better each day. Um, study the game. Like I said, there's so many different ways to play. And the more ways you know how to play, the better you'll be. The more valuable valuable you will be at the pro level. Um, study other pros. Study other uh, systems. You know, there's so many different ways to play. Like we're talking about. Yeah. Um, and the more that you can do, the better chance you have of playing um, on different teams, and different yeah. levels. Nice. Um, understand that. Guys are coming for your spot, so never stop working. Yeah. Um, there's been times where, you know, people just get comfortable and settle, and there's millions of stories like that. Even when you get to the NBA, there's millions of stories of guys just settling and not working as hard, um, hanging out, drinking, smoking, and then they lose the opportunity to make a lot of money, and then they're out of the league. Yeah. Um, also, you know, be thankful, stay humble, be um, you know, a lot of people just take for granted that people are just gonna help you out and give you stuff. But, you know, I wouldn't have got where I was where I'm at where I'm at now if it wasn't for people helping me, you know, giving me opportunities, uh, making calls for me that I didn't even know. So, you know, Tom Pinkowski, a big, you know, um, guy that does all the scouting in the East Coast back when I was younger, you know, gave a call to some schools and I didn't even know about it. I just read a, somebody sent me an article the other day about it, and that's when schools, Division One schools, started calling me was wow. Tom Kachowski, and you know I want to thank him for that. Um, great guy, he doesn't really forget a name, but he's always there to help, and he doesn't ask for anything. Wow. So people have to stay humble and thankful because you never know who's there to help.
0: Yeah, no man, that's a, there's a lot you know? to be said about that. That no, you never, mm-hmm. and also you never know who's watching you, so you yeah, got you got to really be uh, mindful, self aware of that yeah. and and always do your best. Like you know, these are old adages, man, but I don't know, some things never change. Some things like, you know, working hard. It's like, yeah, it's uh, it, it doesn't yeah. it's timeless, man. It's timeless yeah. like like listening to Michael Jackson. It's timeless, man. It never gets
1: old <laughs> <laughs> never get old. Exactly get and, old. And, I mean the you know, the game might change but playing the, the right way is never gonna change. Nah, you not the right way I mean I wouldn't got where I've gotten if I would didn't treat people right. Yeah. So
0: I got that from my parents. Yeah, so kinda of going off that, like, after all the attention and the visibility that you got in your world, you know, and so you know, here again, playing in front of people, getting paid to play basketball wherever you were getting paid to play, uh mm-hmm. did you know your identity? Do you know did you know who you were at that time?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, because I wasn't highly recruited, um, and going against guys that were and the way they acted, I didn't want to, you know, not all of them, but, you know, there were some guys that thought they were the best players and, and didn't really respect other people. And so i always been very humble, very thankful, like I said before. Yeah. Um, I knew I came from a small town and I knew I had to work. Um, but when I did work and I got to where I wanted to be, you know, I still treated people the right way. Yeah, You know, this, this game uh, will definitely humble you. Um, you know, you treat people the wrong way. Bad things will happen to you. That's how I think. Yeah. So, wow. you know, I, I always treat people the right way and I will, I'm always around with a smile and try to say hi to everybody. Um, you know, you only
0: live once. Yeah. And people are going to remember your legacy, whether it's good or bad. Yeah. So, I like, yeah, I, I, like, I like what you're saying because, especially like at the pro level, I imagine with fans, like the accessibility and the availability that they would like uh, doesn't mm-hmm. always match up to reality, right? But, then you have exactly. to kind of put it in terms and uh, the perspective of without the fans, you don't have that paycheck either. Like, you don't get money just because you just are a great player. Like, people have to want to come see you. <laughs> if, there's no, exactly. if, not, if there's no fans and they're not buying tickets and they're not buying popcorn and beer and all that. Like, you're not getting, you're you're not getting paid. So, yeah. exactly. so it really helps exactly. to have that perspective of just be good to people, man. You don't have to always – you know, be available for them and have give them access, but you do have to be a decent human being with them. Like there's nothing that's not hard. You could do. You can just roll out the rack and be a good person. Like it's not that hard. So yeah, very easy. Very yeah, easy to pretty, do. Yeah. yeah. So you talk mm-hmm. about your family, your support system, and all that, and then your time overseas. I'm sure. I'm I'm pretty sure you didn't have them all with you, even in that time until now. How important was that support system, especially here again, you say I'm in Turkey, I'm in Portugal, I'm in all these places where, you know, English isn't probably the the, the language, and there was nights maybe where you felt a little alone or whatever. How did did your support system, you know, kind of get you through even that time?
1: A lot of Skype calls. Um, (laughs) A lot of hanging out with my American teammates, Um, you know, making a lot of calls back home. You know, I would wake up to go to practice at 10 o'clock, come home take a nap. Wake up again to go to practice again because we practice twice a day, every day, um, wow. during the whole entire season. And then at night, I would be up from about 6 to about 4 in the morning talking to people. Wow. You know, my friend's back home. So, you know, I could just get that feeling of being back home. You know, we didn't have we didn't have Netflix back then, so I had to figure a way to get some the American TV. Yeah. Um, we didn't have all the, you know, my I mean Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. So, you know, I had to find another way to communicate with my friends and family.
0: Yeah. No, man, and that's yeah. you know, I think people, especially during this, this time right now where we use social distancing or physical distancing, however you wanna look at that. Um uh, mm-hmm. you know, we have technology to make it seem like we're just a wow. phone call away. We're just one <laughs> touch screen away and like it wasn't like that before, and I think that's uh, for those of us in that age group who can remember that we really can appreciate, you know, that the authenticity of our interpersonal and personal experiences with each other. Like you said, you you hung out with your teammates. A lot of guys would right. think, "Yeah, I'm feeling lonely. I'm just, I'm just going to seclude myself." Like, no, no, no. That's more loneliness. Don't do that.
1: <laughs> exactly. I mean, you, you know, your teammates are like the most important thing. If your family's not with you, yeah. And you know, I was fortunate to have my my wife and kids with me um, from most of the places I went. Um, so they were there for me. You know, and we spend a lot of family time, yeah. and it's it's, it's it's amazing how many American players bring their family over there and they learn each other, and then they, you know, they'll be with each other for the rest of their life. You see a lot of guys that play in the NBA; they'll be with a woman, have kids, and they get the divorce. You know, being overseas makes you a family man, It makes you, you know, love your family even more. Nice, because they're,
0: they're there with you to support you and go through the things that you are going through. Wow, Almost so, like being in the military, you know? right? Kind of exactly. Like, you get exactly. stationed somewhere; they go with you. That's great, man. That's solid what mm-hmm. you said, man. Like, I got that's fantastic right. now. My last right, question right. for you, man, and I appreciate your time. Uh, yep. Now as a leader of men and a, and a college coach, right, like how can you truly look back on your on your past and say, yeah, that was great, and say to yourself now that you feel your future is brighter than your past? Can you say that?
1: Um, yeah, I can say that. I think, um, you know, obviously what I went through as a player, um, it will help me with kids and helping them grow. Um, you know, I'm learning, I'm learning so much from different people. Um, you know, I'm in a a group now with living trophy with Kevin Sutton and he's, you know, taught me to empower young men, um, to do the right thing and impact their lives. And in turn, they can help other people. So, you know, our living trophies group is, is tremendous for me, especially this time, you know, he coaches at my alma mater at Rhode Island and, you know, before I got to UMass, and I was at Fairfield, I would go to, to URI practices and you know sitting talking to him, um, he would just you know give me advice and stuff I wouldn't think about and how to become a better person, better father, better coach. Um, so you know you you have to have mentors, yeah, in in in, in life and in, and in this college coaching um, because you again. You might think you know it all, but there's always somebody else's perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, Learning from your podcast and other other people's podcasts, there's always new things to learn to help kids become what they want to be and hopefully you know, they aspire to be pros as well. Yeah. And I can just give them my experience of what I went through to try to help them, but also there's a lot of different experiences that you can talk to them about, send them podcasts, send them books to read yeah. um, to help them achieve their goals. And, and, you know, that everybody thinks they know
0: everything, and so here's what I do. Like, I didn't think of that. Yeah. Nah, man, so. you, you bring up Kevin Sutton, man. Like, I love Kevin Sutton, man. Like, I don't just say that, like, mm-hmm. on like on the fly. Like, hey, I love you, bro. Like, I love yep, that yep. man. <laughs> He's a great mentor yeah. and has been a great friend. And so, uh, yeah, right. man, you know, and, and that's how we kind of met as well, connected as well, was, you know, being part right. of the Living Trophies and, and I think that's uh, right. something that we can, you know, we're can. we always going to be connected by. And so I'm thankful yeah. for that, and I'm thankful for your time. Tyson, yeah. I, I really do appreciate it, man. I appreciate you taking the time to be on and share your perspective with us.
1: Again, man, I appreciate you having me. It was a pleasure to be on, and hopefully I can help another young coach, another young player to, to achieve their goals. Um, you know, you're going to go through struggles. Yeah. But there's always somebody there to help you and, and give you a different perspective to think about to uh, – achieve those goals. So thanks for having me, man. I appreciate you. Oh, thank you.